Hi, everyone. My name is Shannon Calder, licensed therapist, and I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Barrett, forensic psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Terror Talk. Hi, this is Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hi. Hi there. Today on the show, we are going to talk about sexual predators, and we're also going to weave in the Netflix documentary on Jeffrey Epstein, which basically talks about his sexual pyramid scheme, which was, you know, the way he, the way he expressed his pedophilia. He did. Yeah. He was, as Trump would say, a nasty man. Is that what he said? No, he would only says that about women. Oh, okay. I was going to say, really? No, that would never come out of his mouth. <laughs> those two are too much alike. I'm like, wait, I missed that. You'd probably news. say Jeffrey Epstein was a good man. He was yeah, a good man. He did. I, I've seen clips of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I barely knew him he at the said, same time. He actually said, yeah, no, he actually said he was very good at his job as labor secretary. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I don't know much about it. <laughs> was the way that went. So I think Kathy's going to start us off with a bit of um, discussion around sexual predators. So um, just to make a distinction here, sex offenders are on a spectrum. Um, So committing a sex offense doesn't necessarily mean that someone ends up also being labeled as a sexual predator. And what that means is, And I'm not going to get into all of the nuances of this because it's actually really different state by state, how someone might be labeled a predator versus an offender and then, you know, treatment versus prison and all. There's so many different things. I just first want to make sure that we understand there's a distinction. All sexual predators are sex offenders. Not all sex offenders are necessarily labeled as sexual predators. For example, um, someone who, you know, is um, charged with child pornography might still have to register as a sex offender but may not necessarily fall under the category of a sexual predator. So usually someone who engages in like violent behaviors or commits like really, really serious types of offenses. And, and let me just say, I am not at all minimizing child pornography because I actually used to assess, evaluate, and treat sex offenders who were addicted to child pornography. So there is nothing not serious about that. But when we're talking about um, predators, we're talking about usually people who um, are convicted of first-degree felonies related to sexual misconduct or or have two second-degree felonies. So these are people who it's like a sex offender, um, you know, on, you know, multiply that by a thousand. So, and I'm really, really simplifying this because it's not incredibly relevant to our discussion today with the exception of the fact that when we get into um, Jeffrey Epstein, he was certainly a sexual predator and many people who are charged with pedophilic crimes will be labeled as sexual predators and that might be different from someone who has a rape charge. So it really is going to depend state by state, but there is a distinction. Um, Sometimes people will get different labels depending on mental illnesses and things, you know, if there's an actual mental illness involved versus just narcissism or sociopathy. So it's, it's a very, very broad spectrum. But today we're going to be talking about 
sexual predators and people who are really much more opportunistic um, in the way that they, you know, take advantage of their power positions in any way, shape or form um, and how that leads to having a, 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 a multitude of victims um, and then also this sort of cognitive dissonance around like, oh, you know, this this person who engaged in this with me must have loved it because I'm in power and they should be thankful and they should feel special or I'm allowed to be this way because I'm in power. So when we think about sexual predators for this episode, we're going to be talking about mostly within entertainment, but also other power positions like politics, law enforcement. We're going to see an abuse of power. We don't necessarily see a lot of sex offenders within law enforcement, but we will see an abuse of power in any sort of um, position where people are allowed to use excessive force, or they have a lot of people um, protecting them. So entertainment and politics would be that. So some of the people who have come up um, in the last... um, 10, 20 years would be Donald Trump, Jeffrey Epstein, Harvey Weinstein, R. Kelly, Prince Andrew, Bill Cosby, Bill Clinton, a lot of other bills. I'm not going to go into all these guys. Um, But if you see the trend, we're seeing people who have uh, positions of power, more specifically politics and entertainment. And all of them have really denied what they've done or minimized what they've done. They all lack remorse. Um, and then they all, uh, have like they, none of them display any sort of victim empathy. So when you're working with people and you're doing treatment with sex offenders, um, I used to actually run groups of individuals who had multiple offenses due to child pornography, one of the things that we would do with them would be getting them to a place where they were, now these letters were never sent to the victims, but they would have to write a letter to their victim and, and um, display, like try to try to show that they're actually moving towards victim empathy. Now that is incredibly realistic if you're de- dealing with someone who actually has a capacity for empathy and a capacity for remorse. But a lot of times with predators is you're dealing with people who don't necessarily have a mental illness like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, or schizoaffective disorder. We're dealing more with people who are antisocial, antisocial personality disordered, or what some people might call sociopathic or malignant narcissism. So these are people who have very, you know, low capacity, if any, for empathy. So they're even when they're thinking about they these are people who don't anticipate consequence because especially in positions of power they very rarely get them so a lot of times uh this will go on for years and years and years and years before anyone even pays attention to it and then when they do it's still oftentimes looked at like a slap on the wrist and we saw this i mean we talked about this a few weeks ago shannon on the shrink chat with danny masterson how he had you know and he's not even anywhere he's not remotely close to the amount of power that someone like Epstein and Trump have. So if somebody like Danny Masterson can have charges dropped or, or removed or minimized, imagine what somebody like Donald Trump or Jeffrey Epstein or Harvey Weinstein is capable of. So all of these men denied what they did. Um, so one of two things happened. Either the thousands of victims are incredibly delusional, money-grubbing, dramatic, histrionic liars, 
which is what they've been painted to be, or we have real predators. My guess would be, you know, if you do the math, we have real predators on our hands who are not getting the consequences they should get, and therefore it's it, it perpetuates this cycle of permissiveness around being able to take advantage of these power positions. So a lot of people think that the Me Too movement started um, just a couple of years ago with Harvey Weinstein um, and Alyssa Milano was really like the face of this. And I really just want to give credit to where credit's due because it was actually started by a black woman. I believe you pronounce her name Tarana Burke. Um, she's an American activist from the Bronx. She started this movement in 2006. So if you think about the amount of um, cases that have come up since 2006, it wasn't until... 2017 and white women put a face on me too that it started to change a lot of things and i think that's really interesting because um you know we have a lot of issues right now that are coming up over race and how people are how the serious you know are people taken seriously because of their color and things like that so over a decade later in 2017 uh the me too became a viral hashtag popularized by Alyssa milano when women began using it to tweet about harvey weinstein um and his sexual abuse allegations and the phrase really quickly developed into a broad-based and eventually international movement so what it ended up excuse me what it ended up doing was um it started to help states change um their policies and and many states are now banning non-disclosure agreements that cover sexual harassment and this has even come up in politics with um certain presidential candidates and uh who are no longer in the race so not trump other candidates who have been accused of non-disclosure agreements that would not allow people to really see what these women had made complaints about. And yes, there are male victims in some of these cases as well, but just for the sake of this conversation, the majority of victims in these cases are women and children, but there are men too. Um, so one of the systemic problems exposed by coverage of Harvey Weinstein and other powerful men was the use of these non-disclosure agreements. So for example, example, Zelda Perkins, Weinstein's former assistant, signs an agreement as part of a settlement that prevented her from telling even family members that Weinstein had exposed himself to her repeatedly, including forcing her to take dictation while he bathed. This is according to the LA Times. So this agreement kept her silent for 20 years. And her story and others, you know, made it very clear that these agreements were actually one, coming from incredibly wealthy and powerful people um, and really buying people's silence. Basically, I'm going to pay you. And, you know, these are people who um, want to work in the industry. They want to get certain roles. They want to make a certain amount of money. So this person goes, hey, listen, you know what? I jacked off in front of you a couple times. I'll give you a million dollars to keep your mouth shut. But after that million dollars is paid, that person's going to continue to, to um, violate the victim because this amount of money has been paid, which is peanuts to some of these men. So it's preventing anyone from finding out about any of this, perpetuating the cycle and potentially putting other victims at risk because these women could not go up to, you know, let's say there's uh, a dinner happening and Harvey Weinstein has a couple actresses at the table and a couple producers at the table. And, and one of the, the, the female actors at the table has already had 
this terrible interaction with him and she sees him leave with the other woman, she can't tell her, hey, you don't want to go back to that hotel room because of this non-disclosure agreement. So it really pigeonholes these women into like being incredibly quiet um, and like I keep saying, perpetuates this cycle. So the Me Too movement gained, gained a ton of attention, really trying to focus on having to remove these um, non-disclosure agreements. And several states actually passed laws prohibiting the use of these agreements in sexual misconduct cases. In 2018, California banned the agreements in these cases involving sexual assault, harassment, and sex discrimination. So New York and New Jersey have are falling closely behind. So there's a lot of different movements and uh, the Federal Be Heard Act introduced earlier this year. There's a lot of different um, acts and bills that are now being um, put into place to pre prevent this from happening. So one of the biggest reason why, why these non-disclosure agreements have to be removed is that victims feel more powerful in numbers and women specifically feel more supported when they can step forward and say, hey, we can all speak together and we're no longer silenced. So what this did is it turned thousands of women um, without a name into uh, victims with names and actual people. So I just wanna maybe pause there for a second and reflect on that for before I move into that next piece. Um, I don't know if there was anything you wanted to add or reflect on from that original piece. I was just thinking that sometimes, sometimes we think of politicizing personal issues as a bad thing. And, and, and what you're really talking about just now is how politicizing things, marketing things, making something a quote unquote movement is actually in this case, very empowering mm -hmm. and hopefully inclusive. I don't know the ins and out of it, yeah. outs of it, but that's, I think the idea is to make it inclusive, to make it to make it more powerful by politicizing it and marketing it and making it give it words like movement and all of that in order to gain more power. Because I mean, I think you're really talking about how like someone like Jeffrey Epstein, you can, if you've watched the documentary, you can see how much power he had gathered and how much power he had to have in order to um, execute the crimes that he did. And so to come up against something like that, you know, one voice gets drowned out against that kind of establishment power. So you have to have, you know, 500 voices or 5,000 voices. That's right. To counteract that kind of power yeah. in any kind of, in any kind of way. And even with that, it took them forever right. to figure out a way to actually get them in a cell. Right. You know, like right. there was a long kind of drawn out investigation and process to get it that far. And then and then yeah. he'd get into a cell and then they'd let him out. And, mm -hmm. that, you know, it mm -hmm. was just like so even with that. You're talking about Epstein or Weinstein or both? Epstein. Yeah, because with Weinstein, I feel like, too. And then when he finally was uh, charged, you saw him start to disintegrate uh, physically, which, you know. Yeah like narcissists too. Well, one yeah. of the things they, I think sexual predators do is they compartmentalize the consequences. Absolutely. So they shut off the fear of consequences. And so when you're actually end up being confronted with actual consequences that your lawyers and maybe the people around you are not placating you anymore and not being sycophants. And they're saying, yeah, no, this is happening like this, you know, and you start to have that, sense of law that sense of um, loss of control and power ease away i would imagine that's a pretty quick deterioration and as mm -hmm. we know jeffrey epstein um 
there's controversy, but they're saying he killed himself. Yeah. In the cell. <clears throat> and maybe we'll have a quick discussion about thoughts around that. Cause to me, um, I just think that it, as much as there was controversy around it, it's very typical of someone who know who is narcissistic or sociopathic and, and knows now that they could never go back to what they had, what's left to live for. So it really didn't shock people were like, Oh, that has to be like, really? Cause it, to me, it fits with a narcissist. Well, see, that's the counterintuitive thing that we may know that others might not, you know, the general public yeah. might not just not think about yeah. is that people think of narcissists as people who would never take their own lives because they're so self-important. And it's like, nah, well, no, because <laughs> that's just the cover. Yeah. You know, the insides are shame filled. Yeah. Horror fests inside it's not a it's not a personality i would want to be inside of absolutely no. not and that's not to say oh i'm empathetic to all of them i'm just saying like the cover is oh i'm so special right and the i so, i'm so special would have gone away very quickly once once realizing they were going to yeah. spend their life in jail well, and where do you get supply yeah right right so we'll have a quick discussion about that at the end of this but i as far as um sexual getting back to the sexual predator piece predators are going to appear in any situation where there's asymmetries of power so they're going to look for the victims who need something from them are reliable on them are innocent naive trusting so what better victim than a child or an adolescent Right? There's an inherent power structure already. Absolutely. And a lot of times, and we've talked about this in other episodes, um, where you have the, the children that, or in Epstein's case, the, the teenagers, barely teenagers that he had, many of them came from incredibly broken, abusive homes where there was no guidance, there was no um, parenting, there was no nurturing, and these these girls were taking chances they didn't understand boundaries they didn't understand the danger of what they were getting into so there's an article by uh john whitehead it's called sexual predators in the po in the power elite and he talks about um mostly he's talking about sex traffic child sex trafficking and the buying and selling of uh, women as well but women young girls and boys for sex some as young as nine um and how it's become this really big business in America. And that's essentially what Epstein did. It's the fastest growing business in organized crime and the second most lucrative commodity traded illegally after drugs and guns. I mean, that to me, right then and there, if we, if we don't take that in, um, like how this has gone on for so long, um, and, and you wonder how, how much, you know, whether it's law enforcement or government or whatever is paid off for allowing this to go on because it's, it's, it's out there. It's everywhere in this country too. People think it doesn't exist here. So adults purchase children for sex at least 2.5 million times a year in the United States alone. And it's not just young girls. Um, according to a 2016 investigative report, boys make up about 36% of children caught up in the U.S. sex industry, and about 60% are females, and less than 5% are transgender males and females. So who buys these children for sex? Otherwise, ordinary men from all walks of life. I mean, when you're watching the Epstein documentary, there's a couple spots in there where, where the, the, the employee who worked for him was like, Parents actually 
took money from Epstein to give their own daughters for a weekend. Yes. Wow. Yep. Fucked up. Selling. Mm -hmm. Disgusting. Mm -hmm. So if parents are participating in this and getting paid off, if their own parent, um, it's one thing if it's a stranger, but how do you stop it if parents are so willing to give their kids over like that? Because he knows he's not going to get the cops called on him. No, I think he established a, an incredible amount of power. And groomed him, And probably. isolation. And certainly, as we know, predators are always grooming. Yep, um, so groomed to the parents. It's, 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 um, it's interesting because when you were speaking, I was thinking, the first thing I thought was that um, you were describing the young women who were coming from broken homes and difficult situations and often um, surviving a lot of trauma. And I was thinking that is congruent with what I know about the teenagers that I know who have those kinds of situations as far as um, having a voice. Mm -hmm. And so difficult to have a voice when you are in an environment like that. And then you put on top of that, that your parents see you as property. You, that's the ultimate metaphor for not having a voice, not having a self, not having any value. And so I really, I very much see how many of these young girls got caught up because if, if, when you watch the documentary, you hear them speak about it and, you know, they're adult women now and you hear them speak about going, some of them going back repeatedly to make their $300, which I believe is mm -hmm. the price that he would pay them, at least in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so, and they would repeatedly go back. And of course, if if you haven't ever been caught up in something like that, of course there's a natural reaction of going like, why did they keep going back? And what was happening? And this is what you're describing, is that if, you, if you're in a situation where you don't feel like you have any other options, mm -hmm. Or, and, or just like the one more time, I'll do it one more time. One yeah, time. or that you need the money or that you already don't value yourself or that you're in difficult situations or you just get caught up because you're a kid and that's why it's not okay to have sex with kids. Right. Because they can't make those kinds of decisions. Right. That's why it's a crime. Right. <laughs> it's like, I get it. There's no voice. Right. How do you speak up? How do you say, I mean, some of the girls describe saying no and going away and never going back. Right. Okay, okay great. Right. But he just moves on to the next one that won't yeah, say they're, no. they're just numbers to him. Uh, absolutely. He's not attached to any of them. So, I mean, he might be attached to the ones that make him the most money. I mean, that, you know, get him the most power or money or whatever, because, you know, we'll find out later when we talk about it, the amount, the, the different celebrities and politicians he, he had on his island. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're, we're looking at extraordinary men. I would go as far to say that the majority of them, I would say as high as five, 70, 70 to 75% are white men, um, mostly because these are wealthy, elite segments of society that operate very closely with other positions of power. And white men are still in most of the positions of power. Mm -hmm. um, and they are the least victimized as far as when we look at other communities, they are the ones majority of the time are doing the vic victimization in these, these sorts of crimes. Um, so these are the people who are really allowed to sidestep these rules. 
So these men skate free of accountability, taking advantage of the criminal justice system because, you know, all they have to do is get some of the guys in the criminal justice system to come on over and, you know, get taken care of themselves. I mean, it's so easy to just um, remove anybody. There are no obstacles. It's like any men. mafia. Yeah, there's no obstacles. I'm just going to pay you. What do you need? You need a new house or your wife's having a baby? What do you need? I'll pay you off. It's that easy. We think about these girls who are... Uh, brought in by their own parents, those parents were groomed over time and they were manipulated into, and I'm not justifying it at all, but they were manipulated into believing that Epstein was going to take care of their girls, was going to pay them a lot of money, and they justified in their own mind why it was okay for their Had their connections. Yep. I mean, we talk a lot on this show. We've, we, sp- we spoke about narcissistic abuse, um, and, and that's a little bit of what I hear and what you're saying is that the narcissist will go into that family and figure out, and we've seen this repeatedly in different cases, figure out what the family needs or wants and is charming and powerful and seductive. And I mean, we, we see, we see these faces, you know, we see their mug shots on TV when they've come to this point and been, and been, um, the, the, the sexual predator and when they've been caught and all of that. And we kind of forget that, there was a time when that person was powerful and educated and smart and walked into that home and presented well. And obviously, um, not, again, I'm not justifying it either, but we forget that they're very savvy and that most people are susceptible to this mm-hmm. and realizing later, like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. There's a cr- what the hell did I do of brainwashing? We're. we're as human beings, we're easily conditioned. We don't, we we'd like to think we're not, but we are. I mean, look yeah. at Nazi Germany. Yep. So, <clears throat> this is not anything minor. Mm-hmm. I mean these these are sex slaves. Mm-hmm. These are secret societies that are being built. These are powerful elites. Um, this is absolute government corruption. These are judicial cover-ups, and um, you know what he says in this article. Once again, fact and fiction mirror each other really interesting so he also brings up um which i thought was a really great comparison stanley kubrick's final film eyes wide shut which provided viewing audiences with a sordid glimpse into a secret sex society that indulged the the uh, basic urges of its affluent members while preying on vulnerable young women it is not so different from the real world where powerful men insulated from accountability indulge indulge their base urges so I thought that was really because that that's very true about that film and what it represented. Really uncomfortable film to watch. It was kind of strange, um, but it does really depict what uh, we're talking about here. So, you know, just before we go into the actual Netflix documentary, um, just again reiterating, this is power. It's a powerful ring. Um, it's a club. These people do not exist in isolation, which only provides the ability for this to continue and they get away with it for so long because they have so many enablers around them. Some of the guys that they interview in the documentary who are employees, they were finally like, yeah, I should probably get out of here and not be a part of this anymore. Um, but they were all there working because they needed a living and they were give, you know, given non-disclosure agreements and all this. So the idea that the victims are owned and objectified in some ways expected to be thankful for the, the exploitative favors that these predators use to keep them there. So you know, the way that they pay them, the way that they talk to them, a lot of times you know, 
one of the girls was talking about how Epstein really would would say, you know, pull her over and be like, how are things going? How's your mom? What's going on? And making them feel like he really cared. So they look for people who are drifters, lost, unloved, abused, looking for someone to love them and make them feel special. Um, and, and predators are really good at, at, at putting on that role. And sometimes they often, they'll look for people who need them in order to get what they want, which is a lot of what happened with Weinstein and using his position of power to hold their, their fame or their work as ransom. So that is moving now into the documentary. That is, uh, I guess, a way to set up this guy <laughs> and everything that he did and everything that he was part of. He was a big American, you know, finance guy and a sex offender all at once. Yeah. So just so everyone knows, um, there's a Netflix documentary called Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich. Uh, it's about the convicted sex offender, Jeffrey Epstein, um, from kind of beginning to end what they, the, what they know about it. In other words, it ends with him, uh, dying in, in jail. So try, attempts to tell the whole story. Um, the miniseries is based on the 2016 book of the same name by James Patterson, I guess, mm -hmm. um, yeah. and was released this year. So pretty new. It's four parts. There are several survivors in it. Uh, there's something you might experience when you're watching it is an outrage. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like what you were saying earlier, how many girls have to suffer mm -hmm. for to get any kind of something. I, one article I read said, you know, um, how perversely twisted is the American justice system that a Gatsby-esque billionaire, friends with such powerful figures as Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew, and Donald Trump, a longstanding donor to Harvard and MIT, could buy his way out of an almost certain life sentence for child sex abuse and trafficking. That's the question that yeah. this journalist was asking. And I think if you watch this series, that is what you'll be asking. Like, for the love of God, how I mean, did he, we get here? He was like a, a Ted Bundy in the sense that he would pretend to have certain certifications and degrees and things. I mean, this guy was a teacher without a degree. And then when they found out that he didn't have the credentials to teach, he, he played this whole victim game. This is back like when he was in his 20s mm -hmm. or late 20s. And they were like, well, why didn't you just tell us, Jeffrey? And then he, you know, gives them their, his intellectualized sob story. And because he was a white male uh, affluent in, at this time, they were like, oh, well, okay, that makes sense. And they give him his teaching job back. Yep. You have to, you have to believe he, it was obviously based on privilege and racism, but it's also how he must have been incredibly charismatic oh, or and something. And, and, yeah. and then they're susceptible to that because I think so much of the time, you know, as negative as our society can be, I think so much of the time we give people the benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. because especially at that time, in many ways, we're probably a country of people pleasers. Mm -hmm. And so we just we're we're, we're optimistic <laughs> And as negative as like social media and all that can see can seem, it just feels like and all of the trauma and horrors that this country has endured and caused, we're still in a position where we go, oh, well, he seems all right. You know, and if this guy had been killing people, mm -hmm. we would put him on the level of 
a Manson or um, oh, for sure. a Bundy or any kind of prolific narcissistic sociopath. Yep. But nobody died, at least that I know of, except him. And so it takes this, it's it's it takes this lower stat status as far as like, are we really going to be talking about Jeffrey Epstein and Harvey Weinstein Weinstein for the next hundred years? Like we talk about these serial killers, probably not. Yeah. Because there'll be 50 more, at, you know, mm-hmm. after them. Mm-hmm. It's just, okay. I went yeah. on to a little tie no, right there. It, I totally agree. <laughs> um, and I, it, it gets more disconcerting as you watch this because they have enough in, in 2008. He, he serves about like 13 months in custody, but he gets to go to work Mm-hmm. And then go back to his cell at the end of the day if that isn't privilege. Mm-hmm. And out of the 36 girls, some as young as 14, he was only convicted of two mm-hmm. for two. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what I understand about the documentary, and probably this is the, ca- the case with the actual case, is that it was incredibly hard to get the victims to speak on the record. Right, which happens. Yep. Um, and then you have this a-hole attorney that's working with him on the case who's just basically giving him, mm-hmm. suggesting all these, uh, what he got away with, um, I, I, it just, it's it astounds me. Mm-hmm. Um, th- and that's why I do believe that suicide was his easiest cowardly way out of this because his reputation was gone, his supply was gone, his money was gone, he was such a sociopath, there was nothing in his mind. It's like, well, I mean, life's done. So he's arrested again in 2019 after this original mm-hmm. thing on federal charges for the sex trafficking of minors in Florida and New York. He did not, he, you know, he, he ends up getting convicted and then he does die in his jail cell on August 10th, 2019. The examiner did rule it a suicide, but we have people disputing it. And that's where, you know, you and I started to talk about. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? I I really, I think it's shocking that people are shocked. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they're like, well, he would have been on suicide. Here's a guy that probably could have paid someone off to walk away. He can still yeah. get his, he still had money at that time. And he still had people working for him that could have easily paid somebody to walk away. This guy was not killed in prison. I don't believe it. Okay. I don't, unless... Here's the only thing that I think maybe um, the only reason for that would be is someone who really needed to silence him because maybe he would have gotten less of a sentence if he started speaking. Yeah, like that it was a hit. Well, people kind. think it was Clinton. Uh, yeah. You know? I, I mean, mean, we don't know. We don't. So, but that would so be it's my like, only reason why I would think someone killed him was to keep him quiet. Otherwise, to me, it makes perfect sense. He yeah, I mean, we're, we're in the business of... Um, believing outrageous things and seeing outrageous things. So I I'm kind of of the mind of, yeah, I don't know what happened. I can see a rationale. I can see a psychological, that's, that's really what we're talking. Like I can see a psychological profile that suicide makes sense. And then I can also see like a criminal profile mm-hmm. of where someone needed him gone because something that we don't know, cause we already know a lot, but something that we actually don't know is, never to be revealed that he knew um, or was complicit with um, with someone else doing something. There's that. Or I also know how 
unmitigated rage can take place in yep. environments where you're powerless, which he was at that moment. Yep. So it's like I, I, all of the, you know, it's like if you're writing a fiction story, like all of the endings could work. Absolutely. And the one person we're, we're not going to get into her, but the one person we didn't talk about is his wife, Len, who was a big enabler in this and how many people she was, um, you know, she was helping recruit these girls. Mm -hmm. And then, so he's tied to Bill Clinton. He's tied to Alan Dershowitz. He's tied to all who knows who needed him gone. And there are people who believe he wasn't acting alone regarding this was, he was sort of a middleman for this bigger industry but those silent partners were never mentioned. He he looked like he was the head of it, but a lot of people think that he was not acting alone and that he was actually kind of a mediator among all of these other players in this. And these are all you know different theories, but those all make sense to me too. Yeah, I mean, it's it could have happened. Mm -hmm. It could be so, happening right now. I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, one thing I did, I, I watched this video about um, the other players in the case, the recruiters, there was a, um, a scheduler. There was, you know, these um, women mostly that were uh, a part of his business, meaning his business of being a sexual predator. Mm -hmm. And there's there was this video, I think it was on YouTube, and it was mostly silent and sort of pictures were flashing. And then they would just put, they had type where it sort of said what they were doing now kind of a thing. And what I noticed is, you know, all of them took um, deals to testify or to give information and all of that. And then there were one or two that flatly deny having any criminal involvement, but they were giving immunity deals, several of mm -hmm. them. So they're all like, you know, and, and then it would say, like, who are they were married to and what they were doing. And one of them was an activist for this thing. And one of them, you know, and so. I have no doubt that some of them were victims of the same kind of abuse. Sure. And so each person probably has a, a unique story of how they, they got into that. Mm -hmm. um, and then it does seem like that the one, I guess his wife that you're talking and, about, mm -hmm. seemed involved. Very involved. And there was another person that seemed very involved. So, yeah. so all of these, I guess the, what the video is sort of trying to do was say like, all of these people are still out there. Mm -hmm. So don't think that like him dying, this is going to stop really takes care of the issue that we're talking it's about an industry, even with just this case. So, yeah, that's all I have on him. So I, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Besides vomiting that's in your it. microphone. Um, <laughs> The only thing I was going to add is that uh, I thought it was a well done documentary. I do too. If we I, were going to yeah. take our like hats off, I and actually say, thought it was too. You know, we were we've been talking lately about oh god, these true crime documentaries. Like some of them are so bad, and yeah. some of them are good. And I would say that I would say this one was, um, although disgusting and outrageous, and hard to watch if you connect to the content. Uh, in a personal way, especially, but if you're if you can remain a little bit objective in moments, it's a well crafted documentary. There's lots of discussion with victims, which I find is I find that great because and I'm so glad they 
decided to be a part of it mm -hmm. because those are the voices that I want to hear. Exactly. You know, and he was dead by the time this documentary was happening. So it could really focus on what he did, who he did it to and how he did it in right. order to educate it was safer and give those women the voice mm -hmm. that they um, deserved back in the day and, but are getting now. So um, I thought it was well put together. It was. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, this is Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. If you enjoyed this show, there are two things you could do for us. Subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media, as well as writing a review on iTunes. Plus, you could check out our Patreon page. Don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow. <laughs>